you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church. Hallelujah. God is good. God is good. Amen. 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 How many are excited for this weekend? Amen. As I sit there, you know, this time of year, I'm sure just like, just like you guys, you know, the, what Jesus is doing right now extends to to run over and over and over. And I begin to meditate on these things and meditate on these things. And just like Kimberly and I were talking as we're on a, a wee walk today before the service, it's like, it's like, what do you think Jesus was doing right now? You know, what, what do you think he was, where do you think he's at right now? Do you think, is he ministering? Is he getting prepared? You know, cause some, you know, depending on, on, you know, where you grew up, some people believe that Jesus, you know, went to the cross here on Wednesday. Some believe it was on, on Friday and regardless, whatever, which way you believe, you know, I, I, I can probably go back and forth. I can argue both sides of it because it's hard to really pinpoint in, in the word of God, which, which one it was, but whether he was getting prepared to go to the cross or getting prepared to have his last meal with his disciples. I'm telling you, this is a special time. It is a special time because what he was prepared for, what he put flesh on for, is about to happen in an instant. <laughs> we're, we're, we're living in that. We're, we're looking forward to that, looking back to it, but looking forward to it, what, what, what he has taken place. I'm telling you, this, this is an amazing time here. This, this is why we're Christians. It's for this, 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 this couple-day period that took place. How many of you know that if Jesus didn't die, there wouldn't be no Christians? If Jesus didn't get resurrected, which we'll talk about probably more on, on Sunday, listen, church, there would be no Christians. Why? Because what, what, is, what does even the word Christian mean? You know, we, we, most people think it's a religion. Oh, it's another religion. Jesus didn't come to make another religion, church. He came to put religion underneath his feet and destroy it. He came to bring relationship. He came to bring people back into union. As we always say in this place, he brought people back into perichoresis in the, in the circle dance of life between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what he came for. So why are we called Christians? Because we're supposed to look like Jesus. Those who have been redeemed by him to have his spirit living on the inside. We should be talking like him, healing like him, raising the dead like him, being hated like him. Changing the world like him. Why? Because he's in us. Hmm. We were called Christians first in Antioch. And it wasn't a compliment. It wasn't a compliment. It was like, oh, there are those people. That, they're just like Jesus. They're just like the Christ. Why? Because they're just like the anointed one. And now we strive to be like the anointed one. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. That's what happens when we get religion mixed into things. Amen. Amen. Have you ever just sought back and, and begin to think about the word? Meditate on the things of God? I'm not talking about getting in getting in depths of theolog theological depths or anything like that. I'm just, just sitting back meditating on the word, meditating on Jesus, meditating on this time. What does meditate mean? You know, you know in Eastern religion, you know, to, to meditate means to take everything out of you. Why? So you can receive something. That's not what it means in, in Christendom. To meditate means to roll over, 
to mull over, to, to allow his word to go over and over and over, like a, like, a, like a washing machine or a dryer, over and over and over on the inside of you, where you can eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it, then eat it again. You know, kind of like chow, cows chew the cud, right? They eat, 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 swallow, then spit it back up and eat, eat, eat again, and then it goes back down, right? This is, this is, this is, this is how we ought to be doing with the word of God, is eating it, eating it, digesting it over meditating 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 why because church we got to find out why we believe what we believe you see i think the problem with a lot of the church nowadays is we we believe things simply because a man has told us simply because a man with a hat told us Simply because a man from a pulpit told us, a man with a suit, someone that spoke with authority, some you know, just because someone has spoken some things, we 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 now believe those things like it's gospel. And I'm telling you, church, this is the exact reason why the church got so far away from Jesus in the 1300s, 1400s, and 1500s, because they believe more about what man said than more than what Jesus said. They believe more about what man said, let me say that again, more than what Jesus said. And what resulted in that? The greatest protest began to take place. The greatest protest where we're still seeing shockwaves going through our going through the church, going through the body of Christ from, from one thing that took place, a protest in 1517. Hmm? To where now we have over 40,000 denominations of of Christianity, it gave birth from one. Why? Because so many people believe different things. Why? Because so many people won't get in the Word of God, and then some people want to be force-fed the things instead of get, getting in the Word for himself. Do you know what? It, any of y'all know what it what it what ignited? And let me just sit on this for a little bit because I've been reading on this stuff and it's just kind of going through my spirit. But any of y'all know what ignited the Reformation in fifteen seventeen? Hmm? Do y'all know what ignited it? The Bible. The Bible. Full stop. The Bible. The pride and joy of, of Germany, Luther. Begin to look at some of the things going on in the church, and he said, you know what? I, t- I don't know if these things are, are what Jesus really desires for us to do, but I really don't know because he's never really word that read the word of God. So he had one of his ministers, a, a guy that was over him, said, you know what? You know, instead of trying to beat yourself up on a daily basis, why don't you just try to find Jesus? Get in the word of God, find him. And you know what? He got in the word of God and it transformed his life. Simply by studying the word of God, simply by, by, by finding out the truths of the word of God, the truths of Jesus. I'm going to tell you this, listen, I'll tell you this every time. Listen, church, do not believe anything that gets spoken in this church. Nothing that comes behind this pulpit, whether it's me, Pastor Kimberly, my pastor, Pastor Rusty, or anyone else. I don't care who it is that comes and, and begins to minister behind this pulpit. Do not believe one word they say if it doesn't line up with the word of God. Right? It has to line up with the word of God. You know, it's, it's his spirit and his word. It changes everything in our life. But listen, church, it is his word that keeps us out of the proverbial ditch when ministers decide to go off on their own tangents. It's his word, full stop. We got to be people of the word. 
I mean, we, we, need, to, we need to desire the word. We need, to, we need to hunger after the word. And then once you start getting in it a little bit, you'll find out, listen, there's, there's a God that dwells on the inside of us. His name's Holy Spirit. And he is the greatest teacher you'll ever find. He'll begin to reveal truths of the word of God if you'll desire to get in it. He'll review the truths of the word of God. See, see, this is what this is what this is what the Holy Spirit through Luke was talking about Paul when he was traveling around in, in Macedonia. See, he just left Thessalonica and he went to Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. All right? And what did he say? The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. They're more noble. Why? For, for a simple reason. They, 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 they received the word with a readiness of mind, a readiness of heart, and they searched the scriptures to see what Paul was saying, to see if it was accurate or not, see if it was in the word of God or not. They, listen, they, they were prepared. They came to church. You know, you know, they didn't stay up till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and say, you know what, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go see what the minister has to say in the morning. No, they were prepared. They were hungry. They wanted to hear a word from God. So they, they prepared themselves. They got well fed and then they got well rested and they went and they sat and they paid attention to what the word of God was going forth. And then you know what they did? Then they looked in the word of God. They started searching the scriptures. Hmm, is, is that one in there? Is that one in there? Is that one in there? Why? Because the scriptures kept them in the middle of the road and they didn't get in the ditch. And the Bible says, Holy Spirit says, they're more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they had a passion for the word. See, church, this, this right here, this is called the Bible. Right? And the sad part is that most of the church has never delve, delved into it. They never dove into it. They never got into it. But see, how can we know our God unless we, we, we have an honor for his word? See, I'm not, I'm not talking about the, there's this, this, the, the paper that's here or the ink that's on these pages. No, I'm talking about the word that was spoken, given to each and every one of us that was recorded for us. Church, we've got to have an honor for this. It'll change us. It'll change us. I'm telling you, church, people have given their lives for this. People, you know, People give their lives for the word of God. And you say, I, Pastor, yeah. What? You're just, you're just trying to get us in the word of God. You're just trying to get us to, 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 to read the word of God from time to time. No, no, I'm not just trying to get you to read the word of God. I'm trying to get you to study the word of God. I'm trying to get you to meditate on the word of God. I want you to get consumed with the word of God. I want you to, to begin to eat it. I want you to get so passionate about the word of God that you begin to protect it that you reject anything that's outside of it, that you protect it. Why? Because it's that important. This is the spoken word of God recorded for each and every one of us. Huh? It's important. See, most people think that these are just dead words on a page. It's not. I'm telling you, church, it's alive. Isn't this what Hebrews 4.12 tells us? That the word of God, the logos word of God, the written expression of God, the, the, the blueprint of God hmm, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to, and dividing asunder what? The soul and the spirit. See, people want to know, man, I don't know. I can't tell if it's God speaking to me, if I have thoughts in my head, I can't tell. Listen, because you're not in the word. It's what divides your spirit, man, from your mind. Right? It gives the Holy Spirit a weapon that he can begin to reveal things to you. 
but you got to know the word. It, it is the sword. It divides in two the soul and the spirit, the bones and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Church, this ought to be our prized possession. It ought to be the most valuable thing you possess outside Holy Spirit. Hmm? There's life in it, church. There's life in it. See, once we, we come to this place understanding how many people gave their lives for this, how many Christians were martyred even by other Christians, just so you could have a Bible written in a language that you could understand, they give their life for it. Why? Because it's that important church. Why? So you will know the truths of the word of God and not be able to be manipulated by any religious leader. And that's powerful church. We need to have some honor for these things. Hallelujah. But listen, church, you're going to have to want to know him to be able to get into it, to be able to hunger after it, to be dedicated to this. Listen, church, you're going to, you are going to have to, you're going to have to begin to hunger after him Hunger after the one that has set you free from religious bondage. Who is that? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And when you begin to do those things, you begin to jump into the word. The Holy Spirit will begin to reveal things to you. He'll reveal mysteries to you. Hmm? He'll reveal truths to you. He'll unveil things that your natural mind can't understand. And he's not going to give them to your mind. He'll give them to your spirit. To you'll know by faith that it's the truth, regardless if your mind can grab a hold of it or not. And then you begin to see amazing things happening through you. Amen. I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing for people to just grab a hold of these things. So venturing off, we're venturing off into Resurrection Sunday. And as we venture off into that, listen, this is, this is the, this is, this is case in point, I guess you could say, about what, about what I'm even talking about. You know, most of us, when, when we say Resurrection Sunday, a lot of people won't even know what you're talking about, right? You know, because we call this, we call this holiday Easter, right, in the English-speaking world, where we celebrate the Passover and the resurrection of Christ, right? We call it Easter. Why do we call it Easter? Simply because a man told us that was what we're supposed to call it, Right? This is what we're going to call this day. So this, this is what we are going to do. Amen. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring guilt or condemnation upon you. Listen, church, I say, I say Easter all the time. Why? Because most people don't understand what we're talking about unless we, unless we say Easter. If you say Passover, people think you're a Jew, right? But this is actually what we're celebrating. And you say Resurrection Sunday, people don't have a clue about what you're talking about, right? Because most people don't know even the meaning behind the Easter holiday. I mean, they only know what, what, what's been told to us. I'm telling you, even as a child, I was just telling you know, my, my wife this the other day, listen, as a child, listen, I had no clue about what Easter was. I didn't grow up in the church like many of you guys. I didn't know what it was. Now, I, I walked around, and listen, when Easter comes around, what is it? It's, it's about a bunny. You go out and you hunt eggs, and I get an Easter basket full of candy. That, that's what, that's what I, I believed Easter was all about. It was a nothing holiday to me. It meant absolutely nothing. Why? Because it was only about candy and a stupid bunny. You know, I was over the bunny when I got, you know, six or seven years old. I just wanted the candy, and the candy's gone pretty quick, so it's not really that important of a holiday, right? I'm telling you, say, why? How can these things happen? I'm telling you, I'm telling you Satan's done a really good job. 
He's done a really good job about manipulating the things of God and, and amongst the church. I mean, you can go in the same place the same way with Christmas. I mean, most people think Christmas is about, is about a fat red man, not about the birth of our Christ, the birth of Messiah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we, we open the door and we allow so many things to come in the midst of us and we just accept it. Why? Because this is the way society's told us to do things. And listen, church, sometimes we need to grab a hold of what the word of God says and put a, put a stop sign on things. Put a stop sign on it and begin to, to believe what the word of God says. Right? See, see our children, they've been teaching this to our children here in the last couple of weeks. So, so I figure if our children know it, maybe some of the adults ought to know it. Do, we, do, do any of us actually know what Easter is, what it means, what the word Easter is? How did, how did we grab a hold of that? Hmm? It's a pagan goddess. It's the pagan goddess of fertility. Some might say it's a, the, the, the dawn of the light, but she's the, she's, the, she's the goddess of fertility. Why do you think there's, there's bunnies and eggs represented? What do, what do, what do bunnies represent? <laughs> what, what do eggs represent? This, this is why, and people, all Christians all over the world, we're hanging these things all over our house, like, like, oh man, we're celebrating Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. You say, how did these things come to pass? It came, it came from the, from the Anglo-Saxons. The Anglo-Saxons brought, brought forth this, why? Because it was one of the gods they worshipped, right? The English speakers, Right, but see, if you go anywhere around the world outside of the English-speaking nations, you know what they call Easter? You know what they call Resurrection Sunday? It's, some, it's another form of, of the, the Hebrew word. Uh, what, what, would that, what, what is that? I don't even know if I could pronounce that. It's, it's, it's Pesach or something like that. The, it's a Hebrew form of, of, uh, of resurrection. I mean, what, what, you're a Russian speaker right here. What, 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 how do you pronounce, what, what do you all call uh, Easter? Yeah, it's called the Passover. Everywhere around the world, how do you say it in, in Russian? Yeah, Pascha. Yeah, it's just a branch off of, it's just a branch off of how you say it in Hebrew. Why? Because it's a Passover. Everywhere around the world, they call it the Passover, except for the English speakers. Absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You say, why am I telling? Because I want you to think I'm legalistic, right? Because anytime you start going against people's tradition, they're like, oh man, that guy's legalistic. No, it's not legalistic. The whole world calls it Passover besides the English speakers. We think it's cool to, to rename things after, after pagan goddesses. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. You say, well, well how, did, how, did, how did these things come into the church? How these things come to the Western church? How did we, how did we adopt this mixture into the church? Well, well, it's simple. Back years ago, they had a doctrine called the doctrine of inclusion in the church. The doctrine of inclusion. So anytime they go into a, a pagan land or a pagan world and they're going to go plant a church and there's people practicing voodoo, you know, uh, or whatever kind of religion, you know, Greek, what, what, whatever, whatever type of uh, religions are out there. If, if it was pagan, they'd go in there and they'd set up a church, right? And then they'd get these people saved. They'd, they'd introduce Jesus to them. And these people would have a hard time saying, man, I just, you know, I, don't, I can't walk away. You know, my family won't allow me to walk away from these things. You know, you know, is it okay if I, if I, if I still do this and, and, I, and I, I do this. They say, listen, listen, listen. Oh, you can still practice voodoo. You can still worship the dead. Just make sure you come to our church. And if you come to our church, they, they believed in, in, the, in the law of 
the, the law of displacement, that if you just come to our church, we're going to minister the Word of God. And when we minister the Word of God, we'll do it so often that it will begin to purge out anything that's dark on the inside of you. But see, the absolute backwards things happen, right, to where the law of displacement began to happen in the church, right? Because, see, they weren't purging any of the darkness out. They're allowing the darkness in. And when someone's only hearing the word of God once or twice a week and they're filling themselves up with the darkness of this world for, you know, for five or six days a week, what happens? It starts displacing the word of God that's on the inside of you to the place that you can even ask my, you can ask my pastor when he comes around here. You can go to places like Haiti where, where like voodoo's very strong and you go into some of the old Catholic churches there. You know what you see? You see symbols of voodoo in there. Why? Because they've adopted it. Now it's become part of the church. It's become part of the church. Why? Because one person says, no, you don't need to dispel darkness. I'll give you the light, but then I'm going to welcome darkness on the inside. Listen, church, these things don't work. They never will work. So what is the Passover? What does it represent? What does it mean? Why did Jesus even have to die? Why, why did these things take place? I mean, why do we celebrate Good Friday? Is it good or is it bad? You know, why, why are we celebrating these things? Church, we, gotta, we have to answer some of these things. We have to know what we're doing. Why? So we can explain it to some of the people that have no clue. I wish somebody would have explained it to me. Huh? I mean, we, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. We were sitting there, Kimberly, you've got a glanced on Facebook and, uh, and, and there's, there's churches, you know, people that we, that we know well back in the States and they're sitting there asking for, you know, does anyone have any bunnies that we can bring to our church service on, on Sunday? I mean, this, this, this is what, this is what, this is what, gee, the resurrection of the Christ is all about. And sometimes we need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to the basics. I mean, so let's go back to the basics. What, why, why, why do we call this the Passover? Well, go with me to Exodus chapter 12, and we'll talk about it for a minute. Exodus chapter 12. You say, well, we're going to go to the Old Testament to find out something about Jesus? How many know that the Old Testament is there to reveal Jesus? And then we're not to get lost in the Old Testament thing. Oh, that was just for the Jews. Oh, that was when God was mean. <laughs> no, everything in the Old Testament was there to reveal Jesus. How many of y'all know the word says that Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God, he says, I am Lord God, I change not. The same, the same God you find in the Old Testament, the same God you find in the New Testament. We just got to begin to look through the right lenses, Right? You say, what lens is that? The lens of Christ, the lens of Jesus. And we'll find out exactly what is going on here. So, so listen, here in, in chapter 12, let's start off here in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you to all the, the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth month, 
They shall take of them every man a lamb according to their house and their fathers, a lamb for the house. So, so he's sitting there talking and saying, listen, everyone's going to take, take a lamb out of, out of their own house according, according to how large their household is. Now listen, to kind of give you a little bit of a background, nine judgments have already taken place. In Egypt, this is when this is when the, the the Israelites were in Egypt, and God was about to come in and free them. We had nine judgments that came against the land of Egypt, and there was one left. There was a tenth one. Amen. You say, "What's that?" As the one where the firstborn male and the firstborn animal was going to be was going to be slaughtered. Amen. And th- this this is what we're about to venture on into. You know, a lot of people when you say that, "Oh man, the, the firstborn the firstborn is going to get killed." The firstborn is going to get killed. I mean, I can't believe you serve a God like that. That God has to be mean. I mean, aren't weren't these, weren't these Egyptians just wonderful people? Yeah, these G- Egyptians were so wonderful. They were so wonderful at the time that they enslaved God's people. They were so wonderful at the time that they, that they began to kill the firstborn of all of God's people. They were so good that they began to starve them. They were so good. I mean, they did everything they could do to destroy them. Why? Because they recognized there was power in them. Now, although, although the Israelites overstayed their time in Egypt, right? How many of y'all know they overstayed? They, they, they could have gone out a little bit earlier, but they overstayed their, their time there. And this is going to give God the opportunity to deliver them. And God, I'm telling you, church, God will deliver you just like he delivered them at any cost. At any cost. Why? Because our God is a judge. He is the righteous judge. He will judge anything that comes against his love. Anything that interferes with his love, he'll come against anything that interferes with his word, with his name, and anything that interferes with his people. This is our God. He's very protective. He's jealous. Now I'm telling you, church, he knows how to deliver. He knows how to be the rescuer. I mean, if we will allow him to do these things. Now listen, you say, well, what about the Egyptians? Listen, church, the Egyptians could have let him go as soon as Moses came to him and said, listen, I'm going to throw down this staff. I'm going to show you who my God is. It's going to eat your staffs. They could have let him go then, but they chose not to. Why? Because they were rebellion. They were still in rebellion. It wasn't that God hardened their heart. God showed that their heart was going to get hardened. And what happened? It did. And it took Nine going on 10 judgments. It's just like what's going to happen in the tribulation. See, how many of y'all know we're, we're getting very close to be entering into that. The Lord's going to take his church and we're going to enter into a seven-day period of pressure. See, people are like, oh, man, that's such a scary, it's not a scary time for the church. Amen, but it is going to be a scary time for the people that are in rebellion against the Lord. Why? Because there's going to be pressure that makes that makes you know this this right here the Exodus look like look like a, a little storybook for the kids. Why? Because he loves people so much. He's going to add pressure upon pressure upon pressure. Why? Because he's going to force people to make a decision. He's say, you are going to decide. And I'm going to give you every opportunity. I'm going to show you who I am. You're going to decide. You want me or you don't. And if you don't, you have, your, you have your way. And it takes seven years. And the people, it says they're gnashing their teeth at them. Gnashing their teeth, hating God for the things that are taking place. But they never give their life over to him until... 
until all these bowls and all the judgments start to get poured out upon the people. Then they, then they submit. You say, why is that? Because I'm telling you, people are stubborn. I know because I'm probably one of the most stubborn people you ever come into contact with. And people are stubborn. We need sometimes a little bit of pressure to get us to, to, get us to go, move in the right direction where we don't believe that we're God anymore. Amen. And we allow him, allow him to be the Lord of our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. God will deliver his people because he is a good God. So here in verse 4 it says, And the household... He says, and if the household be too small or too little for a lamb, he goes, let him, uh, let him and his neighbor next to him, next to his house, take it according to the number of the souls. So, so if it's too big, it's too big for your family, listen, listen, uh, go, go in with your neighbors that are next door to you. He goes, every man according to, the, to how much they can eat or they can consume shall make your count for the lamb. And verse 5, it says, your lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish. It shall be a male, it shall be of the first year, and it shall be taken out from the sheep or from the goats. Now, now it wasn't too long ago that I believe we, we begin to talk about some of these things when we're taking communion. But let's look at it regarding the Passover, because this is what it actually is, right? See, the Lord begins to describe what the sacrificial lamb is going to look like, right? Firstly, firstly, he says, nothing shall be wasted, he says, nothing of this lamb, he goes, if, you, if your family is not big enough to consume a lamb or, or the size lamb that you have, you need to go in with your neighbors. Why? Because I want nothing wasted. I want nothing wasted. Everything shall be consumed. You will honor this lamb. You're going to honor it by, by consuming the whole thing. You will not treat it as common and let any part of it rot. Right? You're going to treat it with honor. You're going to consume the whole thing, not just the pieces of it, not just the pieces that you like. You're going to consume the whole thing. Why? Because he has painted a picture. He is revealing to us this is the Christ, right? Jesus is, is that spotless lamb, right? And he is to be honored, church. He is to be completely consumed, church. To come in union with him, he has, we have to be completely consumed uh, with him to, have, to come into union with him. We can't treat any part of him as common. You can't just take the pieces that you like and, the, and disregard the pieces you don't like. No, 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 church. You got to take the whole thing. You get all of him or you get nothing. Completely consumed. Completely consumed to Christ. Whether you agree with the parts of it or not, because see, there's a lot of things in here. Oh, I just can't. I just can't. I can't trust God. I can't do it because I just don't know about this. Listen, listen. Yeah, you got to consume all of them, all of them. And then and only then can we become in union with Him. Right? It says it shall be without blemish, a male, under one years old, meaning he had he hadn't mated yet. Right? And he shall be from your own flock. He shall be from your own possession. You say, why is that? Because Jesus, our Messiah, how I many of you know that he was a male? Amen. He was a male. He was unmarried. I don't care what kind of documentaries you, you read after. He was unmarried. He was from the family of, of Adam. He was from that family of people. He was a human. Right? He was from our own flock. He was holy. He was spotless. 
He was without blemish, and he was out without the taste of sin upon him. Now that we know that he made, that the Father made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, he took upon our sin, but he never was a sinner. He was spotless. He was above reproach. He took upon the sin of man, the sin nature of man, as he was upon that cross. That was, that was the sacrifice. But he himself was spotless. He meant it for the, the just, for the unjust, as we say. The righteous for the unrighteous. He made the sacrifice. He said, it shall be taken from, from your own sheep, from your own fold. In verse 6, he says, he shall keep it up unto the 14th day of the month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. They shall kill it. In the evening. You say, why is that? Because our Lord, I mean, I know he was killed on the 14th day. He was killed on the 14th day at evening. And just as a spiritual picture of that, as darkness was coming upon the earth, as darkness began to think that they won. Hmm? How many of y'all know, we'll maybe talk about this a little bit more on Sunday, but, but that darkness didn't win. Amen. All it did was open up the door. Amen, for Jesus to go down and defeat darkness, defeat death, defeat hell and the grave. This is our God. This is Messiah. Can you see this prophetic picture? It's painting of Jesus here. Huh? It says in verse 7, it says, And they shall take of the blood, and they shall strike it on the two side posts of the upper door of the post of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh at night. They shall roast it with fire and with unleavened blood and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. They shall eat not it raw nor sodden or boiled with water, but they shall roast it with fire, with his head and his legs and all that's it's, it's pertinent. It's all, all the inner parts are going to be, are gonna be you know, left on the inside and you're going you're gonna to barbecue it, if you will. It says, and, and you shall not and you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and which remains of it in the morning, it shall be burned with fire. It says, you shall not leave anything left except all the unedible parts. What you can do in the morning, then you can go burn those things. Then you can, you can go burn those things. But before you can burn it, before you can consume it, you're going to have to kill it. You're going to have to kill this animal. You say, why in the world? Why is there all this blood? Why is everything about blood and gore in the Bible? Because he's trying to paint a picture for you. So why, why did they have to kill the lamb? Why? Because our lamb, the spotless lamb, was about to be slain for us. And he wanted man. He, said he wanted man to take a hold of that, of that lamb, which was, which was perfect, which was pure, innocent. That would be silent when it came to the slaughter. And he wanted them to put their hands upon it, cut their neck, gather up the blood, get blood on their hands. Why? Because there's blood on our hands. And he wanted just to look at what our sin, our unrighteousness caused, that this beautiful, perfect, we got all these lambs running around by our house out there and they're beautiful, they're perfect. They're innocent. 
I can't imagine taking my hand and cutting the throat of one of them because of my son, because of what I'm doing. Something innocent gets to take my, my death. Hmm? Innocent gets to take my death. You know, back in Texas, you know, we, we tend to hunt in Texas, right? Now, let me preface this for all of you Euro people. People don't just hunt for fun over there, right? You, you need to hunt. You need to take care of the wildlife. You need to maintain them. Why? Because if you don't, we have so many animals, so many deer, so many ducks, so many, so many you know, uh, boars and pigs over there. It, it will destroy all the farmland, right? And we're supposed to be the ones that have dominion over the land, right? Dominion over the animals. So what do we do? We, we, you hunt and you keep things under control, Right? So when you're hunting over there and you're, you hunt and you, you shoot a deer or you shoot a duck or you shoot a, a hog or whatever it may be, regardless if you're eating it to or killing it to, to feed your family, I tell you, there's something, anytime I've killed an animal and I've looked at it, you look at their eyes as they're sitting there, there's something, a compassion begins to boil up on the inside of me like, oh man, I, even though, even though if my family was starving, you have to do this thing, there's something about killing that innocent animal that hadn't destroyed you, that, had, that isn't coming trying to destroy your family or hurt your family, but you just took his life so it can feed you. There's just something about it. And see, and this is what God wanted to do. See, how many of y'all know when, when the sacrifice was to go into the temple, amen, it wasn't the priest that was supposed to, to kill the sacrifice. No, it was the sinner that was. They, you, you're coming in with a sin offering, you kill the animal. Why? Because it's your sin that's killing it. Right? For this temporary, this, this blood to temporarily cleanse you. Amen? Because we know that what? That the blood of bulls and goats can never, can never fully cleanse us. Amen, but the, the blood of the spotless lamb, the blood of the spotless lamb, I mean, could cleanse us for eternity. So every time, every time they put their hands on this lamb, what, what were they supposed to be envisioning? The Messiah, this, this spotless lamb that with, with our iniquity, with our you know, transgressions that we had, we're the ones taking the knife to his, to his throat, pouring on his blood. For our forgiveness, the just for the for the unjust. Hmm? Thank God for the blood. I'm telling you, church, thank God for the blood. I'm telling you, people don't want to even talk about the blood in the church anymore. I'm telling you, without the blood, we couldn't get reborn. Without the blood, we couldn't we couldn't live with Him for eternity. Without the blood, we couldn't have Holy Spirit. Without the blood, without a man that was willing to, to drape flesh upon himself and come down here and give his blood for us, listen, church, we'd be resting in the pit of hell for eternity. Why? Because the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. His life was given for our life. No one else, no one else. There's no saint that's done this. There's no other person that exists in eternity that is able to give perfected blood for an unrighteous people. To perfect those unrighteous people and make them righteous. Ah, thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is absolutely amazing, church. If we'll, if we'll grab a hold of some of these things, I'm telling you, church, it will change your life forever. It will absolutely change your life forever. When we come here looking, looking on Sunday, listen, don't, don't, don't be just you know, thinking, oh, it's been about an Easter bunny. No, you, know, you picture the lamb sitting up there. 
You picture the lamb bleeding, broken and the bruised for each and every one of us. Jesus, our Messiah, the anointed one. It says they had to, they had to cook the lamb. They had to put him on a, upon an open fire. You say, why is that? Because just like that lamb being on like a rotisserie upon an open fire, Jesus was going to be lifted above for all of heaven, for all of hell, for all of earth to see. The word says that they're going to have to, to the, the fire would blacken that lamb. Why? It just says, just uh, any of y'all ever cooked, cooked a, a meat upon a fire, what happens? It blackens the meat, doesn't it? Well, Jesus got blackened with all of our sin that he began to receive for himself. It says they had to eat, eat this lamb with bitter herbs. Why is that? Because Jesus' suffering, it was bitter. It was painful. Not, I'm, not just, I'm not talking about just about the beating, the crown of thorns, the nails through the hands and the feet. No, I'm not just talking about all of that. No, no I'm talking about it was, it was painful. It was bitter taken upon your son. It was bitter taken upon your sickness. It was bitter taken upon your poverty. It was bitter taken upon the curse that we rightfully deserved. It was bitter. But we got to come in unity. We got to eat those bitter herbs because as we consume him, we also consumed this bitter suffering that he took upon himself. Hmm? It says the bread was made without yeast. How many of y'all know that, that yeast, 9.9 out of 10 times in the word, usually represents sin? So, so what was this a representation of? You're going to eat bread with no yeast. You're going to eat bread with no sin in it. Right, because he would be the one without sin that was going to go to the cross. Why? To make us the ones that have, that have no sin, have no sin nature on the inside of us anymore. Hmm. It says you couldn't break the bones. And I think that's in around verse 47. You couldn't break the bones. Why? Because Jesus was the only one that day that didn't have his bones broke. It's a picture of Jesus. And then he said, take the blood and paint the door frames with it. And I'll end with this. Take the blood and paint the door frames with it. So here in verse 11 it says, and you, shall, and you shall eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it with haste for this is the Lord's Passover. You shall be ready. You're going to have your feet ready to leave. Amen. As soon as these things take place. Why? Because this is the Lord's Passover. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and I will smite, I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment for I am the Lord. He goes, and the Lord shall, shall and it, uh, excuse me, and the blood shall be unto you for a token upon your houses where you are. At least when I see the blood, I'll pass over the houses where you are. I'll pass over you and the plague shall not come upon you and destroy you as I smite the land of Egypt. Now, now we talked about this when, when we're talking about what the Lord has done here. He says, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and destroy. I'm going to kill these firstborn. Now listen, we know that this is a Hebrew idiom that, that the Lord is, what he says is to, what he says to do is what he permits. Right, it wasn't God physically going down and harming these people, as you, you can you can actually find this out in 
verse, verse 23. He says, and the Lord will, will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into the houses and smite you. It wasn't the Lord going in and killing these people. He was permitting the destroyer to come in. I see God was having a hedge of protection around these people, but, but the ones that didn't have this blood upon the door, what happened? The destroyer. Anyone know who the destroyer is? I think Revelations talks about it. They call him Apollyon or, or, uh, uh, or Abaddon, right? The destroyer, the one, the one that goes out and kills, steals, and destroys. You know, he was going, he said, listen, I, if the blood's on those doors, I'm allowed this plague to come in and destroy these people. Why? Because I'm going to free mine. But anyone with blood on it, anything with the blood of these lambs on it, the adversary can't touch. Like I say, thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Not thank God for this temporary blood. No, thank God for the blood of Christ. Why? Because it's his blood. Listen, church, it's his blood alone. His blood alone is what, can, is what separates us. His, uh, his blood alone is what can cleanse you. His blood alone is what can keep the destroyer from coming to you and destroying you. You say, well, man, he, he's sure doing a good job of destroying my house. And listen, church, you got, you got to come to the realization, Satan himself and all of his little minions and devils, they'll come to you and test you. They'll come to see what you believe and what you don't believe. They'll try to add pressure upon you. Amen. But listen, don't think for a minute, if he couldn't, if he had to, ability to come in and kill you he would wipe out the church like snapping his fingers why because he hates you why because your sons and daughters one living in eternity the one that he's separated for from eternity i mean there's a place called hell that was made specifically for him and he wants to take as many people with him that he can why because he he despises the father why because he can't be like him he despises you because you look like him. You were made in his image. You were made in his likeness. But God poured out his blood. The God poured out his blood. I'm trying to say those, those are some of those things that you, it's, it's hard to get your, your, your mind wrapped around. You got to allow your spirit man receive it. God himself draped flesh upon himself. It's called the incarnation. He came down here and he gave up his own blood. Why? To redeem you. To purchase you. To set you free from the yoke of bondage. It says that the word tells us that in Colossians, was that in Colossians 1.13 or 3.13 that he, has, he hath delivered us out of the yoke and the bondage, out of the power and the authority of darkness, and he's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Even the forgiveness of sins. I'm telling you, church, Jesus, Jesus came here for one reason, church. You say, was that to rescue me from hell? No, no, no. Jesus came here for one reason. Say, what is that? He came to die. God came down here in the flesh for one reason. He came here to die. He came down here to be a sacrifice. He came here to be the slaughtered, spotless lamb that the Father himself was offering up for humanity. The Father said, I, got, I have a sacrifice. I have the spotless lamb. 
I'm going to offer up my only son. For he so loved the world. He so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever shall believe on him, not anyone else, but whosoever shall believe on him shall have everlasting life. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For he didn't send his son. Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn the world. But God himself came down here, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, came down here, what? So this world could be saved. And I'm telling you, church, he didn't fail. He didn't fail. I'm telling you, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. So when we think about the Passover, we think about Resurrection Sunday, we think about Easter Church, let's not, let's not, let's not soak and in, in, in meditate and think on the things that the world's doing. Let's remember the Lamb. Let's, let's remember what He's done for us. Let's remember who, who actually purchased us. Whose blood it was, it was the Christ. Hmm. The greatest offering that could have ever been made. So much that the Jews would always look back. They'd have a feast and they'd look back. Look back at the, at the Passover, at the, at the slaughtering of those lambs. For their coming redemption. Church, we need to be looking back 2,000 years ago to where the spotless lamb, keep our eyes completely fixed on the spotless lamb, Jesus the Christ himself, the anointed one of God. who sacrificed himself at Calgary for you and me. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Oh, Lord, Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for what you've You've done for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We Lord, Help us to keep our eyes focused on, on 2,000 years ago, what, what took place there, Lord. Not getting sidetracked on, on anything else that, that man has tried to teach us, what, what man's tried to fill us with, religion, Lord. May we, just, may we just trust in what your word says, what you've spoken, and Lord, do we keep our eyes firmly focused on you. Hmm. Knowing that we've been redeemed knowing that you loved us so much that you came down in humility, that you offered yourself up as sacrifice. You offered yourself up for each and every one of us, for the worst sinner in this world, Lord, you offered yourself up for them because you do so love the world, Lord, that you, oh, Father, that you gave your only son so that we could be sons so that we could be daughters. So Jesus, we honor you, Lord. We thank you. We praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for the blood. We thank you, Lord, for even, you know, as we go down to, to rest tonight, Lord, Lord, begin to bring to remembrance some of the things that, that begin to take place here in these, in these next couple days. 
to Lord, we begin to honor what you've done for us. Not treat it as common. Not, not just thankful because we get a, a day off of work. That we get days out of school. Hmm. But may your sacrifice actually become a reality into your church. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being that spotless lamb. Thank you, Lord, for dying for each and every one of us. So we can take a hold of your word. So that we can study your word. So that we can confess your word. That we can come into agreement with your word. And we can come in agreement with Psalms 91. It says, no evil will befall us. Neither shall any plague come to our dwelling place. Why? Because Jesus, you defeated it. You defeated it. Your blood purchased us from it. So we glorify you for it. We honor you in it. We thank you, Lord, that, that we are protected in everything that we do. As we travel down roadways, seaways, airways, motorways, walkways, where there is no wicked plan from a wicked man or the devil himself shall come against us or harm us. Because you give your angels charge over us. Hmm. You've given us our word, your word to confess. You've given us Holy Spirit to lead us out of the snares. You've given us people to be dwelling in the secret place of the Most High so we can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We are protected because we are in your presence. So we thank you for that, Lord. We glorify you. Thank you for the righteous labor of our hands. We thank everything we put our hands to, Lord. Your word says it shall prosper. It shall prosper. We think your households are prospering. Our children are prospering. Even at our workplace, they're prospering, Lord, because we're coming on the scene and putting our hands to work. Lord, we ask you, Lord, for this week, Lord, as we're, as we're, as we're embarking on, on the very day that makes us a Christian, Lord, Resurrection Sunday, Lord, give us opportunities, Lord, to, to reveal what this, what this is all about to the people that are around us. Hmm. May your goodness be revealed or give us opportunities. May we be a miracle in someone's life. May we bring forth the greatest miracle, the rebirthing of salvation into someone's life. Lord, we thank you for it, Lord. We glorify you for it. We thank you for this church. We thank you for people that, these people that are hungry, that are venturing out even on a Wednesday, Lord, when people can't even pull their, their eyes off of the television screen at the minute. So I ask that you bless them. You be with them, encourage them. And we thank you, Lord, that you are growing them in faith. Huh. May they be the rock that makes the ripple in their families. Hmm. May, you, may you sow them, Lord, to bring change in their neighborhoods, their families, their jobs, hmm. and to the people that they come encounter with. Lord, we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for each and every one that's in this place. Lord, we love them. We love you. And we walk out of here as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be, Lord, thanking you, Lord, that, that we are truly covered by your blood. We are empowered by your word. Or we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen.